Hello and welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants with your host, Raphael Bender. I recently saw a post by a prominent Pilates educator here in Australia, Studio Pilates, uh, and the post was of a young woman holding a flex band around her mid-back and then having her arms out in front with holding the fle- each end of the flex band, and then kind of bringing her hands together and straightening her arms, kind of basically hug a tree uh, with a flex band around your back. And the post broke down which muscles were active in the movement. You know, it listed off all of the muscles, serratus anterior, rotator cuff, anterior deltoids, lateral deltoids, bloody, bloody, blah. And then it said, you know, something along the lines of, you know, therefore, this is a great exercise for all of these muscles. And it even went so far as to mention the, the transversus abdominis and the internal external obliques and stuff like that uh, as being active in the movement, and which is all true. All of those muscles are active in hug a tree, you know, serratus anterior, rotator cuff, anterior deltoid, lateral deltoids, transversus abdominis, all of those muscles are active. But what this post didn't mention, which was actually the most important part, is that being active isn't what stimulates a muscle to get stronger. And this is a like a this is what I experienced throughout my training with stop Pilates as well. Like every exercise in the stop Pilates manuals, and this was the case up until last time I looked at a stop Pilates manual, which was about twenty twelve. Now it might have changed since then, but I'd be pretty surprised if it has. That every exercise had a list of muscles that are active. You know, tra- and always started with transverse abdominis to compress and stabilize the lumbopelvic region. Then it would list off every muscle that was possibly active in a movement, and Here's the problem with that. It doesn't tell you anything useful because being active isn't what stimulates a muscle to get stronger. It's mechanical tension that stimulates muscles to get stronger. Think about it. When you raise a cup of coffee to your mouth, imagine you're having a tiny little espresso. You know, you're in Italy leaning up against the uh, the bar at the cafe there. You order an espresso. They make it for you. It's a tiny little espresso cup. You lift it up to your lips. Mmm, beautiful espresso aroma. Your serratus anterior are active. You are flexing your shoulder. There is a moment, a vector of force created by the serratus anterior. They are active. But the amount of force is so low that virtually none of the fibers are active because when a muscle is recruited at a low low level you know when you only ask it to do a small to create a small amount of tension you only recruit a small number of fibers right so i would say if you you lift an espresso coffee to your lips uh, unless you are you know severely paralyzed or you know recently had shoulder surgery you know if you've got in other words the strength of an average adult human probably something on the order of 10 or 20% of your serratus anterior fibers would be active and the rest would be completely off. Now, there's virtually no tension across the muscle in this movement. So to say it's active is you know, technically correct, but it, it's, just, it's misleading and useless because it doesn't actually tell you, it doesn't imply that that muscle is going to get stronger. In fact, it's definitely not. I mean, how many espressos could you have and still not get stronger? It's well known, and I've done, I've done at least one episode on this before, it's well known that mechanical tension 
on muscle fibers is the primary stimulus for muscle strengthening, possibly the only stimulus. There's still some uncertainty about whether things like uh, fatigue, muscle damage, metabolite accumulation can contribute to strengthening. And so I would say, you know, watch this space and we'll see how that research develops over the next few years. But either way, it seems pretty clear now from the research that we do have that mechanical tension is at the very least the primary stimulus for muscle strengthening and growth. Possibly the only, but we don't know, but it's definitely or almost, you know, it's very, very likely that it's the primary stimulus. Now, it's also clearly known and that uh, activation is not necessary for strengthening. And we know this from a couple of couple of different types of, of studies, but mainly uh, from the stretch-mediated hypertrophy studies. So we do this in humans. We also done it in animals. And in the human version, we get somebody and we put their calf in a boot that uh, and then we crank the, you know, like a boot that you get after you injure your Achilles or something. But this boot has an adjustable uh, dorsiflexion on it. And we can crank that calf into dorsiflexion until the person feels an eight out of 10 stretch. And we leave it there for an hour a day, five days a week for, or seven days a week for, you know, four weeks or something. And what we find is that the calf muscle has grown. Now, we also see this in animal studies where we actually denervate the soleus muscle of a rat. So they actually go in and surgically cut the nerve that innervates that muscle. So it, it cannot activate. It's now paralyzed. And then they put the rat soleus muscle, you know, they stretch it. They put the rat in a boot uh, that stretches the soleus muscle intensely uh, for you know, a number of days or weeks, and then they take it out of the cast, and guess what? The rat soleus muscle has got bigger. It grows. It's grown. So we know that tension, with or without activation, is the primary stimulus for muscle strengthening. Now, often activation and tension go together. So when you, you know, lift a heavy load, your muscles are active and under tension, but it's the tension, not the activation, that causes the strengthening. And if you, if you apply that same amount of tension without the activation, as in an extreme stretch, you will get the same amount of strengthening. So the activation is only peripheral. It just creates the tension. So activation is only necessary for muscle contraction or for muscle strengthening to the degree that it generates tension. More tension, more strengthening. Less tension less strengthening. And there is a threshold. If you have a tiny bit of tension, you don't get a tiny bit of strengthening. You need to hit some minimum threshold of tension in order to generate any strengthening. You know, think about the espresso example. How many espressos could you drink and not get stronger? Probably all of them. If we're lifting a light load, we need to get probably within about eight or 10 reps of failure to generate any kind of strengthening stimulus at all. Now, that's not to maximize a strengthening stimulus. We'll get a very low stimulus at eight to 10 reps short of failure. But we will probably get some measurable increase in muscle thickness and muscle strength if we regularly work out to about eight to 10 reps short of failure. However, to maximize strength and muscle growth, we want to go somewhere in the realm of three reps or two reps short of failure all the way up to failure, somewhere in that region will maximize strength and muscle size with or without 
muscle activation, tension is a primary determinant of muscle strength and muscle growth. So Pilates educators the world over need to revise their textbooks and stop posting nonsense on social media. Long lists of muscles that are active in a movement are just a distraction and a list of trivia that is of no use to anyone, doesn't tell you anything useful about the benefits or effects of that exercise. If you want to know which muscles will be strengthened by an exercise, you don't need to know which muscles are active. You need to know which muscles are subject to high levels of tension in the movement. So simply grabbing a flex band, putting it around your back, holding one end in each hand and bringing your hands together. If you're an average healthy adult and haven't had shoulder surgery in the last couple of weeks, you could do literally hundreds of repetitions of that exercise and not get one jot stronger. So I think uh, my two key takeaways from this whole episode and those social media posts and the the thoughts that it stimulated for me are firstly, don't worry about which muscles are active in in an exercise. That's not in any way useful. It's completely useless. Instead, focus on which muscles experience high levels of mechanical tension. That tells you which muscles will be strengthened. The second key takeaway, I think, is when you see an educator listing out which muscles are active in a movement, or really anyone listing out which muscles are active in movement, just know that either they just don't know what the fuck they're talking about because it's just useless to know that. It's just, it's really just posturing and saying, oh, I know the names of all of these muscles. Well, congratulations. Any, you know, any monkey with an IQ of 83 or above can memorize a list of muscle names. doesn't mean you know anything. So it, either that they're ignorant or they actually do know that, stre- that strengthening is a result of mechanical tension on muscle fibers, not activation. And in which case they're deliberately posting or delivering false information, facts that they know are not true. So either way, run a mile when you see that. Because if you put yourself forward as an educator, you've got a moral obligation, in my view, to keep your knowledge and the information you're providing current. Like if if you're putting yourself forward as an educator, I think that's a moral obligation. And so if you're not doing those things, I think that's a significant moral failing. And that's, a, that's not just a red flag. To me, that is a you know, deal breaker. Don't take education from people who promote things they know not to be true, or they should know not to be true. All right. Now, we've all been wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times. And uh, I don't think we should hold people to task for being wrong But what we should hold people to task for is being wrong when they should know better. And in fact, they probably do know better if they've read any of the research that's come out in the last 25 years. All right. This has been a public service announcement. Don't worry about which muscles are active in a movement. Worry about which muscles are subject to high levels of mechanical tension. That is all. Much love. And I'll see you in the next one.
after two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.